0: Good morning. Um, my name is uh, <clears throat> Jordan. I serve here with Church 21 as, um, as a local pastor, and I'm grateful to be joining you wherever you're at across the city this morning. I'm also grateful that uh, for many of us, this will hopefully, <laughs> Lord willing, be the last Sunday that we have to be joining online. Some of us are going to be able to be in person uh, next Sunday as we reopen our five different locations across the city Um, And so various ones of us will be preaching at each one of those locations at each of the different times that they are. So make sure that you're in contact with your location or your city group leader uh, for that. So we're continuing this morning our series on the spiritual gifts, uh, which we've called Equipped. And I wanted to make one uh, generic, general, (laughs) general comment before we really get into it. And it's this, I've noticed that we have the tendency to ask, you know, what is my gift, and how do I use my gift over and above enjoying the presence of God himself? That, and I don't, know, I don't know why we do this, right? Maybe it's because we want to help people. We want to, like, you know, that's a good thing, so we want to know what our gift is. But the more important question to be asking is, am I enjoying God Am I cultivating intimacy in His presence? Am I learning to trust His word such that His energizing presence is like flowing through me? Right. The blessing of that is what we call the fruits of the spirit. And then when I go in community, that natural outworking His energizing presence is what we call the gifts. And so what I'm reminding us to is to seek, well, the Giver over His gifts. Pursue God for God, His presence. Um, learn to trust and have intimacy with him. That's just important to keep in mind as we go through this series on the spiritual gifts. So last week, Dwight, um, he covered some of the gifts uh, of knowledge and wisdom. And uh, in prophecy this week, I'm continuing in that same list in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse 10. And we're going to focus in on one gift, the gift of uh, discerning of spirits. And so, as I unpack this this morning, I'm going to have to give a lot of, uh, of wider context. We need wider context because if we're going to discern, that requires that we make a judgment. If we're going to judge, then well, we need to know that wider context. And the context here is that Christians are in a spiritual war. and We need to know the nature of that war and who we are fighting against. And I get you know, even as I, as I say this, that if you are a guest with us this morning, this might seem like a big jump. You know, Jordan, like, what is the nature of this war that you are talking about? And so the question that I would ask you in return is, well, you probably don't think the way the world uh, is right now is the way it's supposed to be, do you? And so I would ask, you know, what do you think is the root problem here, what is the cause, what is the root of the violence in the wars and the suffering in the disease that we experience? What do you think underlies that? Because if it's just what we often chalk it up to be, sort of a chaos that's built into the system, then, then why would we be fighting to resist that? Why would we be seeking to improve the world that we are living in? Right? Most of us, we do do that. And so what is it? I can give you the Christian answer, that what underlies the struggle we face is a spiritual war, a war of three foes, the flesh, the world, and the devil. We fight the flesh, the world, and the devil. And I know this sounds like a big jump. This might sound crazy, but I would say, hold on, like, hear me out, okay? Let me um, explain some of those to us today. And the one that I'm going to focus in on is the third one, uh, the devil. But first, what is the flesh? So we had the flesh, the world, and the devil. What is the flesh? Well, it's not a chunk of uh, meat, right? It's not even uh, necessarily bad actions. It's actually what underlies that, the motivational structure. So it's humanity apart from God's renewing and healing and freeing presence, the presence of his spirit. So it's these deep like internal complexes of like, compulsive attitudes and behaviors and ways of relating with each other. And all of this stems from uh, being alienated, our time of alienation with God. And so this can include things like, we would think of, oh yes, like uh, lust and child abuse. But it can also include things like, well, serving God but doing it out of a motivation of religious pride. These are all the, what we call the flesh. And there is also the world. So what is the world? Well, the world is not a globe that's being referred to here. No, the world is the antithesis to the kingdom of God. So if the kingdom of God is where uh, God's will takes place, the world is where his will does not. It's what you get when you have people, fleshly people, a whole society of them coming together to make laws, and culture, and music, and traditions, and philosophies, right? This can include things like uh, dehumanizing economic and political systems, or things that dominate our contemporary conversation even, like rape culture, or systemic racism. This is what theological language would be maybe so helpful to put to it, the world. And as a church, of course, We too, we're like inextricably, by living in it, bound up in it. We need the same renewing presence of the Spirit for that as well. So we have the flesh, and we have the world, and these are significant uh, foes we face in our spiritual battle. But is that all? Is that all we face? See, coming back to that question about what is the root, what underlies, take this for an example. The Holocaust. It's a classic example, but it resulted in six million Jews dead. And what you see in this is like such precision, such effectiveness. There's like this deadly logic to it that just seems more than the sum of any one of its parts. Is it just the flesh and the world? And if you're sitting here wondering like, okay, yes, that's true. How do I explain that kind of thing? How do I explain the the pervasiveness and the persistence and the complexity of evil? Well, I would say the only full and true answer can come when we bring in not just the world and the flesh, but also, yes, a spiritual component, the devil. That there is a spiritual reality that undergirds the reality that we are living in. There is a war taking place between good and evil, and it has an effect on us. This is what we mean as Christians when we talk about spiritual warfare. And so who is the devil? We looked at the, the flesh. We looked at the world. Who is the devil? Well, one of the verses that uh, Jonathan read was 1 Peter 5 and verse 8. It says this. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And so we get from this that the devil is... He is real. See, sometimes as Christians, we can get sort of embarrassed in the you know, post-enlightenment cultural moment we live in. We want to we chalk up all of the, this sort of devil talk in scriptures to just psychological projections and superstition. But what you see from this text here is that Peter was not embarrassed to think about the devil as being real. No, he says, watch out. Like, he prowls. He devours. He's not just some superstition. No, he's an intelligent, powerful, spiritual being who is real. And he's not just real, he's, he's prowling, he's a danger, he's invisible. You know, don't underestimate him. A real, invisible en- uh, enemy. Ephesians 6.12 that Jonathan also read said this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, and yet we we tend to forget this, don't we? I think of uh, the times that I've played airsoft or paintball. You know, you're down, you're hiding in the in the bushes or whatever, and you have your toy gun, and then you suddenly start hearing all this stuff like whizzing over you, and you're like, ah! And so you see something move, or you hear something, and you stick it up, and you fire wildly, and you get someone, and you're like, yes, I got them! You know, I fought the good fight! Only to find out, and this has happened to me, you got your teammate. You know, and what's funny in real life actually becomes tragic. Fa- funny in these games, tragic in real life. How do we do this? I think what's going on is that, you know, many of us, the question I'm asking is like how many of us go through our lives thinking we're fighting like the good fight of faith. We're actually wildly and blindly firing at each other and not the real foe that we face. Does that make sense? Richard Lovelace, in his book, The Dynamics of the Spiritual Life, he says this about the church. We're often operating like an army without intelligence, beating the air and one another at times fighting flesh and blood instead of the principalities and powers which lie behind them. My friends, instead of fighting each other, let's fight our common enemy. The true nature of our struggle is a spiritual battle, a real spiritual battle. Battle. And this doesn't mean, of course, that it doesn't interact in the material world. But what it does mean is that your enemy is not the person sitting right in front of you or the person beside you in the pew, no matter how opposed they might be to the work of God. It's actually in this space that Jesus can call us to love our enemies. We're able to show love in that space. But all this to say that the devil is a real uh, He's a danger. He's a spiritual adversary uh, against us. And so how do we fight him? If he's invisible, like I said, how do we engage with him? Well, thank God, like Loveless said, we don't need to be an army without intelligence. Now, we have a handbook fit for the battle, sufficient for it. Scripture details the enemy and his tactics. That verse in 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Let me frame everything I'm going to say from here on out through this. 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, be sober-minded, be watchful. And then we saw this part, your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Then verse 9, resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced throughout the world. So how are we to fight the devil from this text? Well, verse 8 says that we are to be Watchful, that is to discern, and verse nine says we are to resist him. So I'm gonna frame us our time today around this. Discern and resist. Discern what are Satan's weapons? Resist. What are our weapons? So first discern. What are Satan's weapons? Again, I got this from verse 8 where it says to you know be sober-minded and, and to be watchful. This is basically saying to be, you know drug-free, spirit-filled, woke about what the enemy is doing. (laughs) And how are we to be doing that? Well, like I said, it's to to know who he is, what he's done in the past, the kind of moves he makes. And we can do this. All Christians can do this by knowing Scripture, by having biblical discernment. And some Christians, the Bible even says, have a special gift of discernment. This is part of our series on the gifts. So here it is, 1 Corinthians 12, 10. The ability to distinguish between different kinds of spirits. Ability to distinguish between different kinds of spirits. Now, what are the different kinds of spirits that are being mentioned here? That's a bit tricky because this gift is not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture. So it's kind of dangerous to say too much. One view on this would be to say that like we have Uh, the gift of interpretation with the gift of tongues, that we have the gift of discernment with the gift of prophecy. You see them listed together in this verse. Um, It would be in the same line as 1 Thessalonians 5.19 that says, do not despise prophecies, but test or discern everything and then hold fast uh, to what is good in that. Another view is, and this is the view that I take, but I hold this with an open hand, is that this is a spiritual gift that helps us differentiate between whether it is the spirit of God, or a demonic spirit, or a human spirit. In other words, Sam Storm says it much better. He says, a spirit-empowered ability to differentiate between the nature and the source of spirits. A spirit-empowered ability to differentiate between the nature and the source of spirits. And of course, this is because not all experiences, not all miraculous things that take place in the supernatural are from the Holy Spirit. And we need to be aware of that. We're going to look at that. And so this gift means that for some people at some point in time, they actually are they're like able to intuitively sense the nature and the source of the spiritual activity that's taking place. They're able to like parse it out. Now, is this psychological? Is this just an emotional thing? Or is this this a demonic thing that's taking place? Is this the flesh, the world, or the devil, right? It can help them differentiate in that. An example of this you might see is in Acts uh, chapter 13, verse eight, you have uh, Elmas, the magician. He's opposing Paul in the gospel. And then you see Paul, he has like this Holy Spirit-given intuition. You know what the text is, it just says he, He looked intently. Like, what is that? I don't even know. Paul looks intently and he knows. And so you might be listening and you might be wondering, you know, have I experienced this gift before? And in the way it's described here uh, in Acts or uh, the, you know, interpretations I've given of what it might be, I don't think I've experienced this gift before. But the way that this has been described to me is that a person might enter into certain uh, places or certain spaces or be with certain people and have this sense or this intuition that this thing is of God or this is um, just a human thing or this is actually a demonic thing that is taking uh, place here. Some people are just, I guess it's a gift, more sensitive to the spiritual realm than others. And so if that's you, if you can, you know, resonate with what I've described here, I'd love to know about that. We'd love to know about that. So shoot us like a message or send me an email. Um, Your gift is for the common uh, good. But I also want to caution you that this gift is inherently subjective. And it could actually be a very dangerous thing to to think that you've discerned the demonic in somebody um, and actually be a very hurtful thing if you were to, to do that wrongly, Right? And so we need to be careful, we need to be cautious, we need to discern rightly, and how are we to discern rightly? Well, we, we have something that isn't subjective, we have something that is a rule and a canon and an authority for us, subjective, that's scripture. And so all Christians are called to uh, discern using scripture, and so this, this gift, whether we have it or not, still drives us back to scripture, which is almost like the rubric by which we can filter those kinds of intuitions uh, through. And so... Uh, let's look at some biblical discernment. So we're moving from the gift to just biblical uh, discernment. I want to look at Satan's tactics. I'm going to look at four from Richard Lovelace, um, And he picks these probably because they're just some of the most common weapons that Satan uses. Um, much of, like we saw, like much of the advantage that Satan has uh, over us is that he's able to move undetected. And so the best way for us to to start seeing this happening is just to understand his tactics, understand the weapons he's using. So what are they? Um, Well, actually, before I list them, I would say just uh, as I do this, don't tune out. Like, I know you're watching online. It's really easy to, like, change tabs. Um, These are really dark. And so hold on until we get to the hope and the victory that we have in Jesus as I go through these. So what are Satan's weapons? First is uh, temptation. You see this in Uh, in lots of places, but Matthew chapter four, verse three, it says that uh, the tempter uh, took Jesus into the wilderness. Now, what are some of the ways that Satan might do that on us? Well, it's that he appeals to our desires. He appeals to our desires. And so we hear things like, well, if I could just go on this vacation, I would not be stressed anymore. Or if I could just have this relationship, I would never be stressed lonely. Or if I could just get this promotion, or I could just get this, or I could just get away from this, or out of this, and on and on, and blah, 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 blah. Look here, Christianity is not against desire. Christianity is against disordered desires. See, it's, it's thinking, like I was giving the example, it's thinking that that vacation is going to be the solution to your deep anxiety. It's thinking that that relationship is going to free you from experiencing loneliness. See, this is just Satan's strategy, right? So he wants to make things appear better than they actually are, and then at the same time in that, we're like questioning God's goodness to us. He helps, he tries to make us do that. And but what we need to know is that only God, only God alone can fulfill our deepest desires, you know, the way I think that this, um, this temptation applies in our community is the allure and, and the comfort of conformity, right? That we actually ca- begin to care more about the affirmation of others and, and what they think about this than what God thinks about us and his affirmation over us. That starts to sort of diminish so an example of this would be like we're making a decision, and I've done this, and I've seen this so many times. This is why I say it's relevant. I bring it up. Is that we ask the question, well, what would that person think? Or what would that person do? Instead of asking the better question, what does God think, and what does God want me to do? Seeking his kingdom first, caring about his affirmation and approval over anybody else's. See, this kind of stuff is just evidence of Satan's attempts to, to, to tempt us, right? Um, and to have that comfort in the affirmation uh, of others over the affirmation of God. So Satan tempts, uh, and he also deceives. Revelation 12, 9, Satan is described as the, the deceiver of the whole world. Deceiver of the whole world. In other words, Satan lies. So he can obscure the truth. Uh, we saw this in our um, uh, Parable series that he can come in like a bird and snatch away the truth out of an out of a heart, Um, so he can obscure the truth. On the other hand, he can also illuminate falsehood. So he's like obscuring the truth; he's illuminating the falsehood, and he does this by sowing lies about God, saying things like, "You know, God doesn't really care about you. If he really loved you, he wouldn't have let that thing happen to you." He can sow lies about God. He can sow lies about you. Oh, that sin that you've done, that's all you really are. You're no better than that sin that you've committed. You're not enough for Jesus. These are the kind of voices that we begin to hear from him. He can sell lies about you and God and others. Say things like, they don't really care about you. They don't want to hear about your problems. They don't, they don't want you to really reach out and, and ask for their help. That just, that's just a bother. That's just getting in their way, you know? He can even sow false assumptions about whether, you know, other people's intentions for you. So Satan can sow lies about God, about yourself, about others. He even sows lies about himself. The scripture says that he can disguise himself as an angel of light. He can make his servants appear as servants of righteousness. He can raise up false prophets who do false, miraculous things and do, give false teaching you put this together, you see like the weight of this, the, the, the scale of this deception, right? He can produce entire systems, institutions, worldviews. That's, that's big. And it's also very relevant, on another hand, for us as a church. right? We're doing this series on the spiritual gifts. What this says is that Satan can mimic the activity of God. And so we need to be aware of that, discern against that, we need biblical discernment. So Satan can tempt, he can deceive, another weapon is accusation. Revelation 12.10, he is the accuser of believers. The accuser of believers, and he does that, he brings our sins, and what he does is he brings them in front of us so that we just soak in the guilt and the shame of what we've done. And his accusation is different than godly conviction because it produces nothing but guilt and shame. It doesn't lead to life. It actually drives us further away from the source of life itself, God, right? You know, the way that we experience this personally, and I've experienced this, is that Satan will have this just uncanny, realistic ability to parade all of my past sins through my mind in a given moment in order to try and tear me down. He'll make me question who I am. He'll make me question who God is. He produces a deep shame and guilt in me. And then in that moment, I don't want to confess it to anybody else anymore. No, I'm like lost in it, right? See, he creates these cycles of obsession and he wants us to sit in those and discourage us in those and tear us away from from God and the community, right? And so it's at moments like that when I'm experiencing that, you know what I need? I need an advocate. And that's what we have. We have Jesus who, before the Father, advocates on our behalf. And then beyond that, we have the Holy Spirit in us, our advocate, who advocates to our spirit and says, no, that is not who you are in Christ. I have called you. You are my child. You are my son. I have made you righteous through the righteousness of Christ. That is not who you are anymore. And that breaks these cycles. These cycles that we fall into of obsession and accusation are break, broken by the power of the Spirit. So that's what can happen to us individually. You see the weight of that. And Satan, he doesn't just do this to, you know, as to us as individuals. He says he's the accuser of the believers. He does this in community. The way he does this, he wants us to, to major on other people's faults and then minor on their merits you know major their faults minor their merits and then from that well we're going to start sowing some false assumptions about what they think about you and then use that to create some division sow some disunity break them apart tear them down get them discouraged get them like in our example firing at each other instead of actually taking on their common enemy so satan uses temptation and accusation and deception and then the final one I'll give here is demonic torment. Demonic torment. If you've ever watched movies like the, the Exorcist, you probably have all sorts of ideas about what's going on here. And I have to be short, but let me, let me say this, is that I do not believe that somebody who is indwelt by the Spirit of God can at the same time be indwelt or possessed by a demonic spirit. Okay? So you need to know that however... I do see evidence, okay, in both experience but also in scripture, more importantly, that you can be tormented or distressed by demonic influence in your life. Let me give you a few things that I have, have witnessed, tell you a few stories. Um, once I was in an apartment worshiping with uh, four friends, and their roommate came home, and I don't know where they stood with God. Um, but as they came into the room of the apartment that we were worshiping in, they actually fell down on the floor and began to cry out, super weird, super weird kind of thing. This was not someone who had like epilepsy or any sort of previous condition or anything like that. And so we responded, okay, we're worshiping. There's some clash happening in the spiritual realm here. We're going to pray and minister for this person. And after some time, it took some time of prayer, but they were restored back to themselves, and they they were then so thankful. They're like, there's this weight. I just didn't understand that. It feels like it has been removed from me. Another time I was at a baptism, and I witnessed this. There was a, a young, a small, at least a small young girl, okay, going about to go down in the waters of baptism, and then this, this otherworldly roar like lion kind of roar came out of their mouth and they literally like threw off three grown men hercules like strength and the people around just responded by commanding freedom in jesus name and within minutes she was back to herself again and completely free so i understand okay these are intense stories and i understand me telling them can be super uh disturbing okay but what again, what we are doing here is we are exposing Satan's tactics so that we don't fear when, we come, when He comes at them us at us with them, but we know the power and the authority that we have in Jesus in order to resist and find healing and freedom. That is why I'm bringing this out. and we're going to get more into that in a moment. But these are Satan's weapons, so temptation and deception and accusation and demonic torment. And we need to watch out, we need to discern and. Uh, these tactics, and then we need to resist them, okay? Discern and then resist. This is our second point. Resist. What are our weapons? And um, it's important that we do resist, I should say that. We don't just stop at discerning, right? We don't just get the information and kind of sit on it. No, God calls us to move and act and to stand firm against Satan and his devices. Ephesians 6.13 says, Therefore, and we're getting into the armor of God here, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, stand firm. So we have in Ephesians 6, the passage, one of the passages read right at the beginning there, we have these weapons, what's called the armor of God. And yet, here's the thing, guys, you can't put on the armor of God unless you know God who supplies that armor And the reason he supplies that armor is because he has already won the battle for us. What do I mean by this? 1 John 3 uh, verse 8 says this, the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. This is the hope that I mentioned earlier that you you can't tune out. You had to You have to wait for this kind of thing. See, when it says here that he has destroyed the works of the devil, this means all of these weapons, accusation and and temptation and deception, all of this has been destroyed and defeated by Jesus on the cross. (laughs) And yet, like Jenny, she pointed out so well, okay, that in that moment, it would not have seemed that way, would it? Okay, when you're standing before the cross, if you were there in that moment and you saw Jesus up there, Affixed to these pieces of wood, sprawled apart, bleeding out, utterly helpless looking, it would have looked like deception had been victorious. It would have looked like accusation. It would have looked like demonic torment. It would have looked like systematic evil of the empire. It would have looked like religious pride was victorious, but that was not the case. See, what appeared like defeat was actually the very means by which Jesus would secure the victory, the victory of the cross. Colossians 2.15 says that he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. He has put them to open shame and triumphed over them. Praise be to God. He has victoriously triumphed over the power of darkness in sin and the devil. All of this. How did he do this? Because Satan's most powerful weapon was death. And what does he do? He exerts it on Jesus. And what happens? Jesus is raised up to life again. And so this weapon has exhausted its power. It has no hold on Jesus. Why? Because Jesus didn't deserve it, right? Jesus, he never gave in to accusation. He he says he answered not a word. He never gave in to temptation. He was fully tempted like us. And yet he was fully obedient to the Father, all right, and so because of that, death has no hold on Jesus, right? The Satan's best weapon, is pulled right out of Satan's hand. And if death can't hold Jesus, it can't hold those who are in Jesus, right? And that's who we are in Christ. <laughs> you see, you can't deliver yourself from the power of Satan hear that? You can't deliver yourself from the power of Satan. Only Jesus, who has already secured the victory, can deliver you from his power. And you know what that means for us? We need to turn away from all our attempts to do that. We need to turn away from all our own attempts to get things right, fix ourselves, and so on, and turn to Jesus, who has already gotten it right and secured the victory. And you can just, in doing that, say, Lord, rescue me from Satan. Rescue me from his power and fill me with your spirit. Thank you for the cross. He can give you power over Satan. This is the effect. Do not miss this. This is the effect of Jesus' death and resurrection, is that it is the defeat and the destruction of the powers of darkness. Satan is a loser. <laughs> he has crushed him. Jesus has crushed him. Of course, this raises a question: okay, if that's the case, why do we continue to see? the evil that I referred to at the beginning in our world. And the way that I like to put it is this. It's as if we live between D-Day and V-Day. D-Day in World War II was the day that the Allies stormed the beaches of Normandy, France. Uh, a sh- like A decisive blow. They dealt a decisive blow against Germany. V-Day was the day that Germany actually admitted the war was over. And so it is with us. We live in that time period between D-Day and V-Day where a decisive blow has been dealt against the powers of darkness. That victory has been achieved. It is inevitable. Our hope is sure. And it is only a matter of time before we see it. Satan is on the run and our task is to join Jesus in seeing that victory carried out to completion. It's so good, so good, so good. Scripture says this, thanks be to God. Right? That we have a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And so what do we need to do? Our response is that we need to take hold of what we have in Christ. Because of Jesus' righteousness, you have been accepted by God. Because of his sanctifying power, you have been freed from the power of sin in your life. You can be freed. Because of his Holy Spirit coming and dwelling, you are no longer alone, but you have an advocate to your spirit and before the Father. You no longer need to fear Satan, death, and hell. It has been destroyed. And most importantly for this discussion, that you have authority in Christ to oppose the powers of darkness. You have authority in Christ. Now, how do we take hold of that? That's Ephesians 6. Put on the armor of God. Ephesians six thirteen. you can turn to it. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that, and here's the purpose, you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all. Stand firm. Verse 14, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. The belt of truth, that would be equip yourself all the way around with the truth of who God is and what he's done. Everything I've just mentioned. You can do that by engaging in spiritual disciplines like meditating on God's word, committing it to memory so that you're shaped by that and more than by those around you, the culture around you, right? Knowing this truth will actually equip you to resist Satan's deception, the belt of truth. And it goes on, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, a breastplate is something it protects your heart. So you don't need to Protect your own heart. You don't need to protect, put up a front, I should say, of your own righteousness. You already have the righteousness of Christ, not yours, that has been given to you, his work on your behalf. And that's his righteousness, that breastplate that keeps you safe from Satan's accusations as they come along. Does that make sense? And so wear Jesus' righteousness over your heart. And you'll learn to love and pursue righteousness, his holiness. The breastplate of righteousness. 15, the shoes on your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Why do you put on shoes? Because you're going to go somewhere. You're going to go on mission. Hopefully, the mission of God. But it says the gates of hell will not prevail against. This is def- not defensive. This is offensive, right? We are told to, to, not to flee the devil, no, we're told to resist the devil and he will flee from us. That's James 4.7. We don't run. He runs. And as we do this, we carry, it says, the gospel of peace. We get to be participants in the opportunities. to see, God rescue people from chaos and destruction, the dominion of darkness and fear, it says, into the dominion of his dear son, the prince of peace gospel of peace with these shoes. Verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of face, faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. See, this is a, this is a shield uh, that no matter what Satan throws at you, nothing can pierce. It says in all circumstances, right? So Satan throws some temptation at you, and you're like, I trust God is better. Boom. Boom. <laughs> Satan throws some deception at you, right? And you're like, no, I trust that God is true, boom. (laughs) Satan throws some accusation at you. And no, you trust that God is with you, boom. (laughs) That's the shield of faith. And then the helmet of salvation, verse 17, is that you have a new identity in Jesus. He defines you. Your life is about him. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Remember how Jesus defeated his temptation in Matthew 4? I alluded to it, but he quoted scripture, right? It wasn't like quoting scripture with some magic incantation. The devil quoted scripture back too. He twisted it. But Jesus, when he quotes scripture, it's because he had stored up and he had trusted the words of his father in his heart. And so it is to be with us. If you want to be an effective spiritual world, you need to store up and trust the words of the Father in your heart. Because in a time of sudden surprise attack, you just might not have time to whip out your phone or your Bible. <laughs> know your sword. You need to know your sword. Uh, verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints. And so you see in verse 18 here that we are to pray for ourselves and we are to pray for others. Prayer, again, it reminds us of our dependence on God. It reminds us of of the source of our power, that our fight only comes from him, of our authority in him. Like Ephesians 6.10 said towards the beginning here, where it starts to lay out the armor of God, it says to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, His might, not our might. See, it's not going to be you. It's not going to be your tarot cards or your spells. Okay? Forget trying to fight Satan and his minions with that kind of stuff. It is impossible. It's a deception. Okay? Trust Jesus. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might alone. Okay? And you might not know how to do that. It says here to pray at all times in the Spirit. You might not know where to start? Well, why don't you start with something like the Lord's Prayer that says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So these are the weapons we have to resist Satan. We have the armor of God that he has not let us. See, Jesus sought fit to not leave us as an army without intelligence. Rather, he sought fit To not just rescue us from the dominion of darkness and sin and hell, but but equip us with authority in Christ Jesus to carry out his plans and purposes in the world and beat back darkness. Isn't that a glorious thing? Now, you might be wondering, okay, cool. These are Satan's weapons. These are my weapons. This is my armor. And yet you said that he's a real invisible danger. And so I'm hearing some in what you're saying, but exactly, can you clarify me for me? Like, what stance am I supposed to be taking against the powers of darkness? Like, should I be living in fear of them? Should I be focusing on them? What What, what should I do? Let me quote C.S. Lewis uh, for us. He says there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them, all right? And so you can see from this that Satan actually wants us to either ignore him or obsess about him, all right? And we shouldn't be in either of those camps. Rather, we should be focusing on Jesus, but not unaware and undiscerning about the schemes of The devil. And if we are going to obsess about something, let's not obsess about there being a demon under every rock and around every corner. Let's obsess about Christ and his gospel and extending his goodness into our broken world. (laughs) And we don't need to be anxious either or fearful. I mentioned that. Let's look at a verse. Uh, Luke ten nineteen. this is the words of Jesus to his disciples. He says, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions. It's referring to the demonic. And over all power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. He has given those who are in Christ power, all power. He says, all the power over the enemy, not some of the power. And he also says that nothing shall hurt you. Not that you're going to walk away wounded or anything like this. No, this is his promise. Nothing shall hurt you when you keep your armor on. Says this rather in Romans 16:20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. He will crush him. And you're part of that under your feet. We get to participate in that and so we can take heart and we can have courage, and we can step out in the authority that we have in Christ. This is the posture the Spirit wants for his people. This is the posture that the Spirit wants for Church 21. You know, I've noticed that um, we have the tendency in our culture, the culture we live in, we have the tendency when we encounter things like Ah, deception and accusation and temptation on our lives to just sort of chalk it up as having a bad day, even as Christians, right? But I think, <clears throat> well, it's true. It is not always the devil, right? It might be the flesh or the world. It is true. It is sometimes the devil. And yet what we often do is we say it is never the devil, right? We just sort of, we say it can't possibly ever be him. And I just want to remind us that this is more the product of our secularism than it is a product of the word of God. And so we shouldn't be ignoring Satan in that way. Rather, we should be alert and discern him. This is an important pastoral uh, word for us. Now let me end the, uh, with this. <clears throat> what should I do um, if I'm being tormented? So Jordan, you know, you've been sharing about accusation and deception and all of this stuff, temptation and and, and, and demonic torment, and, and I'm wondering if that's me. What should I do? Well, let me say this. Wear your armor. I mean, this is why we've talked about it, but really, really simply, Satan hates it when you read your Bible. He hates it when you're praying in the Spirit. He hates it when you walk into the light of community. He, 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 he's scared of that kind of stuff, and so just do that. Wear your armor, walk in Christian. read your Bible, and you don't really need to worry about him in that way. Yo, he's, he's a loser. He's defeated. Know the victory that you have in Christ. Take courage and confidence and walk in that. And then if you're in a situation, let me just turn it up the heat a little bit here. Let's say, you know, I try and pray and I can't get a word out of my mouth. You know, I try and open my Bible and it's, I can't even read the lines on the page. Okay, I'm stuck in these cycles of sin and they just seem, I'm stuck, right? I'm, I'm totally bound in it. Okay, in that situation, maybe you do need help. You do need the community to come around you. And so I'd say reach out. Uh, shoot me a message, shoot me an email. Anyone on our pastoral staff, we'd be, be more than happy to pray with you. It's not necessarily demonic what's happening, but it's good that you invite people into that to help you uh, discern what is going on and actually find freedom. And when I say, you know, contact the pastoral team, I'm not saying like, because we have some special powers. No, every Christian has the same authority in Christ over the powers of sin, death, and hell, okay, and the demonic. That is true. I'm just saying because we want to be available for you, and we want to see freedom in Jesus' name flow across our church uh, community. And so if that's you, please do reach out. And know the promise of 1 Peter 5.10. This is the verse after the ones we read. He says, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who have called you um, to the etern- his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore and confirm and strengthen and establish you to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the hope that we can rest in. And so let me pray uh, with us and you now. Father, I thank you that you have given us power by virtue of what you have done at the cross over the forces of darkness that we encounter in our lives. And we do not need to be afraid, but you have given us courage and power by your Holy Spirit to, to resist Satan, to beat him back and see your kingdom come and your will be done. Father, I pray that you would not lead us into temptation. That you would not lead anyone who's experiencing temptation right now in Jesus' name, that they would discover freedom, the freedom that you offer in Jesus' name. In fact, I command freedom in Jesus' name for anybody here who is under the chains of oppression of Satan, wherever they are, Lord, that your spirit would work through this medium to bring full freedom in the mighty name of Jesus. And Father, I thank you that your blood secures this and that you yourself, you will and restore and confirm and, and give us hope and renew us. This is all possible because of who you are and what you've done. And so we, we give you all the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.